0: says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you with me. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into life. Well, when I was in high school, I went to a private uh, school, and uh, it called itself a college prep school. And so it was kind of drilled into my head all the time, like, you need to be prepared, you need to study, you need to be diligent. Um, And I didn't really need that as much. I was maybe a little bit too much, too studious, um, so I tended to, to be prepared and to study, but I, I remember just thinking, for me, the question was not, like, am I going to study, am I going to put the work in, but, like, what does it look like to get prepared for a test? And I would have some teachers that were really great, and they would be like, okay, like, this is what you need to know for the test, and sometimes they would have practice tests or review sheets, and you'd go through those review sheets, and it's like, okay, this is what I need to know. Then other tests, other teachers would be like, you just need to know like the notes and the handouts and everything I've ever said in class and everything in the book. And then I'm like, I have no idea what I should be studying. And I'd, so I I'd try to study everything and then I get to the test and I would be like, am I really ready? I, I don't know. Did, maybe I studied too much of the book. Maybe, maybe the teacher is going to test on the lectures more. Maybe I studied the lectures more and I should have been studying the book more. And especially like when it came to standardized tests, you could do all the practice things. And I know the SAT has changed a lot since I took it. But, you know, you'd go through all these, you know, worksheets and practice things. And then you get to the actual test and you didn't know what it was going to be like. You had to, you know, think for yourself. And so I always entered into a test thinking, am I really ready for this? And as we look at Matthew chapter 24 and in the beginning of chapter 25, Jesus has told a number of stories to illustrate the fact that, like, we need to be ready. Uh, he talks about the, the person who's a wise servant. We, he talks about a brides, bridesmaid who's wise. He talks about a faithful, diligent steward who manages his uh, master's property well. And so he, he tells us over and over again, like, you need to be ready, you need to be prepared. But then the question is, what does it look like to be prepared? What does it look like to be ready? And I think that's what Jesus answers in this passage. What does it look like to be ready for the return of Christ? And specifically, what does it look like to be ready for the final judgment? And as we look at this passage, I think there's really a strong uh, warning on the one hand, but I think there's an incredible encouragement for those of us who are believers as well. And so we're going to jump right into it. Jesus describes this final final judgment as a type of separation or sorting. Uh, He describes it as being like a a shepherd who's separating the sheep from the goats. Now, we don't know exactly why they would do that. Uh, We don't have any extra biblical literature that tells us kind of what that practice was like. But we do know that it would have been more difficult than meets the eye. Oftentimes, we think about goats as being, you know, maybe black or brown or kind of speckled, and we think about a sheep being like bright white. And the reality was that wasn't often the case. Oftentimes, you would have sheep that were, you know, maybe off color, maybe spotted, speckled, and even if they were clean, you know, they weren't that different from a goat. And then you take the climate and the fact that they weren't able to, you know, care for the animals just as well as we could. And, you know, you think about them rolling in the mud and having their, you know, their wool all, you know, fuzzy. And and you could look at them from a distance and it might be hard to tell a goat from a sheep. Even if if I'm driving in the country, sometimes I'll look and I'll see like a little fence. And sometimes you look from a distance and you're like, are those sheep or are they goats? Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, but the shepherd, the shepherd can see the difference. The shepherd knows the difference between a goat and, and a sheep. And as we're looking at this passage, of course, the sheep represent those who belong to Christ. The goats represent those who don't belong to Christ. And so what is the difference between the two? You would expect that Jesus would say, okay, the sheep are those who believe in me, who have given their lives to me and trusted their lives to me. And the goats are those who have rejected me. And, you know, in other parts of Scripture, that's how Jesus describes the difference between those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus. Uh, like in John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And, and so sometimes he highlights, okay, faith is the difference between a sheep and and a goat. Those who believe in me are, are the sheep. Those who don't believe in me are the goats. But he doesn't do that in this passage. And, and it might seem a little bit surprising to us. Rather, he li- highlights the fact that sheep demonstrate acts of love. And specifically, he says the sheep demonstrate acts of love towards his brothers. Uh, he says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Uh, So as believers, we're supposed to show love to everyone, but specifically he highlights here showing love to those in the body of Christ, the family of God. And he highlights actions of love, of of feeding those who are hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, uh, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting those who are in prison. And so in Jesus' minds, that's that's the difference here that he highlights between the sheep and the goats. The sheep are, are those who have these actions of love, caring for the poor, caring for the sick, and, and the goats are those who do not do that. And, and as Protestants, we look at this passage, and sometimes it's, maybe it maybe feels a little embarrassing to us, you know, because it's like okay, we believe in salvation by faith, and and we look at this passage, and and the surface it seems like okay is Jesus talking about kind of a works righteousness. That if my good outweighs my bad, then you know, I'll be in heaven. And if I'm a bad person, I'm not going to be in heaven. That if I do some good things, if I help you know, the little old lady cross the street, if I you know, visit someone who's sick, or if I you know, care for the needy, then I'm going to get to heaven. And it seems on the surface like Jesus is talking about this works righteousness that we have to achieve these things to get to heaven but we know if we look closely at this passage that's not actually what he's saying at all and we know that's that's not what he's saying because when we look at the actions of the sheep and the goat and the goats they're completely oblivious to what they're doing they're completely oblivious the sheep say lord when did you we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink the goats say lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you. In other words, the sheep are not saying, okay, I need to do these actions to be saved. I need to care for the poor. I need to care for the sick. I need to clothe the naked. I need to do these things to be saved. Jesus asks them, you know, commends them for these things, and they're just kind of oblivious, like, wait, what are you talking about, Jesus? Wait, what did I do? Who? How did I do that to you? Like, they're confused about what they're doing. Now, when we think about sheep and goats, say you have a mixed flock of sheep and goats, how does the shepherd know the difference between the sheep and the goat? Now, we might say, well, the appearance. Now, That's partially true. But then you might have some sheep that looks like goats, some goats that look like sheep. And sometimes, just based on appearance alone, it could be a little bit hard to tell them apart. You might say behavior. Well, that's partially true as well. Usually sheep act like sheep, goats act like goats. But you could have situations where maybe a sheep grew up with goats, and so the sheep acts a little bit like a goat. Or a goat grew up with sheep, and so the goat acts a little bit like sheep. And so appearance is important, uh, behavior is important, but there's something deeper than that. Why, why, how does the shepherd tell the difference between the two? It's deeper than appearance, it's deeper than behavior. The reason he can tell the difference between the two is DNA, who they are. I mean, if, if you butchered a sheep and a goat, and you just had, you know, processed them, you just had a piece of meat, you'd be able to tell, a scientist would be able to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat, regardless of how it looked, regardless of, there's no behavior there, but it's who they are. It's in their DNA. And in a similar way, I think in this passage, Jesus is not saying, okay, why would someone want to become a sheep or a goat, or how might someone become a sheep or a goat, but rather like this is the DNA of a sheep, and this is the DNA of a goat. Like this is what it looks like to be a sheep, this is what it looks like to be a goat. And and sometimes this is confusing when we talk about, you know, the final judgment, we talk about salvation, we often focus on just one aspect of salvation. But really, there's a few different aspects. Like the first question of why are we saved? Why are we saved? We're saved because of the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus. That's it. We, we don't deserve it. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's favor. Our good can't outweigh our bad so that we could get to heaven. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. We're all broken and headed to an eternity, separated from God. But God demonstrated his love towards us, and in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a gift of grace. That's nothing that we could earn, and so our salvation is only of grace. It's only because of the love of God. We can never earn it. And so that's the first aspect of salvation, that, like, it's, it's completely apart from us. We don't deserve it. It's of grace. But then the second question that we often focus on is, so how are we saved? Like, how do we receive that gift? and the answer that we see in scripture is by repentance and faith. Repentance means that I'm going one way, I'm living life for myself or I'm living life for whatever it is and then God gets a hold of my life and I'm like, "Okay, I need to change. I need him in my life." And then faith is receiving saying, "What I need is not just a change of behavior, it's a change of life that I need Christ in my life." And so we turn from the direction that we're going, we put our faith in him and say, Jesus, be my treasure, be my Savior, be my Lord. And so that's how we receive salvation. It's not that we earn it, our faith, even our repentance. It doesn't mean that we earn our salvation that way, but that's how we take hold of the salvation that was bought for us. That's often where we focus when we think about salvation. But then there's a third aspect that I think that this passage focuses on, and that is the result of salvation. And the result of salvation is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when someone becomes a believer, their DNA, so to speak, changes. They change from being a goat to being a sheep. That there's a fundamental reorientation of their life that we're not the same people that we used to be. And the Bible describes this variously. It describes it, this experience of being born again. describes it as being regenerated. It describes it as being brought from death to life, from darkness to light. It talks about it as being adopted into the family of God. And so fundamentally, we believe that, okay, it is the grace of God that saves us. It's nothing that we could earn. We receive it by faith, turning from the direction that we're going. But then the result of that is that God gives us a new DNA. He transforms us. And so that's what Jesus highlights in this passage. Why does he highlight this aspect of salvation in this passage? I think he highlights it because faith or even belief can sometimes be confusing, sometimes can mean different things to different people. Even in our country that's kind of on a fast track towards secularization, even in our country a majority of people would say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus." Now that, that majority is shrinking rapidly, but still a majority of people would say, I believe in Jesus. But what, what does that mean? Does that mean I, I, I agree with some of his teachings? Does that mean I go to church sometimes? Uh, does that mean that I, my family is a, are believers and so I'm a believer? Like, what does it mean to believe in Christ? What does it mean to have faith in him? And so I, I think that Jesus doesn't highlight just faith or, or belief in this passage because he wants to give us a diagnostic to see, are we really changed? Do we have that DNA of sheep or are we still living as goats? And Jesus highlights the fact that those who are sheep, those who have been changed, have a new DNA and that the love of God is now woven into who they are. That by their nature, their new nature, they have this love for those around them. And this is not something that's just in, in this passage of Scripture. Jesus says this elsewhere, like in John thirteen thirty four to 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus this is the diagnostic. This is how people will know that you belong to me, that you have this new DNA, that you love one another with a different kind of love than the world loves. John, 1 John 4.20, John says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And so I think that Jesus gives this diagnostic the result of salvation so that we could look at this passage and say, Do I have the DNA of a sheep or do I have the DNA of a goat? Has the love of God been poured out in my life? And am I demonstrating that love to the least of these, to those in need around me? Or am I still living for myself? Notice also the particular sin of this, of the goats in this passage. It's not an active sin. It's not that they're necessarily doing something wrong, it's that they're not doing something right. And this further highlights the fact that it's a heart issue. It's by their nature, they, they say no. When someone is in need, I'm like, oh no, i got to take care of myself. On the other hand, a believer who's been changed by God, the love of God has been poured out in their hearts. When someone is in need, especially in the body of Christ, we're like, yeah, why wouldn't I help them? Like, that's that's, God is given me this grace and so of course I'm going to help my neighbor and the warning Jesus gives is quite severe that those who are goats those who do not have the love of God in their hearts will spend forever separated with him from him in verse 41 it says depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels destruction separation from God and so the, the stakes are high and Jesus is clear, like, that's not his intention for anyone. He says, that was, like, for the fallen angels. That's for the devil. He he doesn't want anyone to be separated from from him. So that's not his intention. He doesn't want us to be separated from him. And so that's, I think, why he gives us this warning to examine ourselves, see if we have the DNA of sheep. And and if we do, that's great, and we're going to talk more about that, the encouragement that that is. But if we look at this passage and we're like, no, I, I don't. I don't have that love in my heart. The answer is not to become like to try to become like a sheep. See, the shepherd can see right through that. It's not to just kind of do some good things like, oh, I'm going to play the part. I'm going to look like a sheep. No, we need a fundamental reorientation of who we are. And so if we find ourselves in that place, we need to come to God. God's the only one that can change that DNA of our hearts. And we need to come in and say, God, I need you. I don't want to do life on my own. I need you to come into my life. I need you to transform me in a way that I could never transform myself. And so we come to him in faith and he, he does his work in us. He's the one that changes us. He makes us into a new creation. And so if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus to find as trusting in him but also ex- evidenced in a life of love, the DNA of God in your heart, turn to him today. And so there's a warning here. Don't just simply play the part. Don't simply believe in a cognitive sense, but make sure you've truly entrusted your life to Christ. But then also there's an incredible encouragement for those of us who are believers as well. And that encouragement for those of us who are believers is that our lives have incredible significance and will one day culminate in an incredible reward. Our lives have incredible significance. See, when we start off life, oftentimes we have great dreams for the future. When we're kids, we think about being, you know, playing in the NFL or playing in the NBA or, like, doing these incredible things like, you know, I'm going to make a name for myself, I'm going to change the world. Even if we have kind of good dreams, it's like, okay, I'm going to, like, start this incredible ministry or I'm going to start this do business and, and I'm just going to change the world. Now, sometimes that happens, but for most of us, it's like we live pretty ordinary lives. Uh, a lot of what we do is kind of ordinary. Like if, if we live to, say, 79, 80 years old, kind of an average age, we'll spend about 33 years of that 80 years sleeping. About 26 years actually sleeping and seven years trying to go to sleep. We'll spend about four and a half years eating shockingly we'll spend about 11 years in front of a screen we'll spend about 14 years working and when you take a, you know take out all the kind of big things in life there's about 9 years left of just kind of miscellaneous things and so we do a lot of ordinary things much of life is the mundane it's not changing the world and most of us are not going to change the world but this passage reminds us that if you're a believer in Jesus everything that you do has eternal significance. Everything that you do matters. That when you do little small things that might not even seem significant to us, like feeding the sick, or feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, giving a drink of water to those who are thirsty, showing hospitality, that we're doing something of eternal significance. See, we live in a culture that despite what we say, we're taught that what matters is accomplishments, and possessions. That if we're going to have lives of significance, we have to either accomplish something great or possess a lot. And for many of us, most of us, if not all of us, it's like we're not going to achieve that. But Jesus says if you're a believer, your life matters. Your life is significant. That just living out our DNA as followers of Jesus means living a life of significance. And Jesus says, as we do these acts of love, it's as if we're doing them for Christ. What does that look like in our lives? Well, I know some of us, a number of us, are are dealing with aging parents. We're caring for them, and it's difficult tasks, often may seem thankless. But when you love your parents, there's a God-ordained significance to that. That not only are you fulfilling your responsibility as a child and repaying the debt that you owe them, but it's as if you're caring for Christ. When we love God's kids, whether it's serving in children's ministry or loving our family well, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's difficult, it feels like we're just spinning our wheels and just going through the motions, but it's as if we're loving Christ. We collect socks for uh, Lumber City Outfitters, uh, our friends at Lumber City Church that distribute those uh, to people in who are in need. You know, maybe we go to the store and we pick up a, you know, a thing of socks. And maybe it seems like something small, insignificant, but it's as if, like, think about it like this. That as we're buying those socks, it's to put on the feet of Christ. I mean, it, it has that kind of significance, Jesus says. That as we care for the least of these, it's as if we're caring for Christ. I know Ben and uh, some from the youth group have a heart for uh, our friend's over at Luther Manor, and they're planning uh, to have a dinner to invite them over uh, sometime in the next couple months to just show them the love of Christ, no strings attached. You know, when you think about that, and it's like, okay, we're not just inviting the old folks next door over. It's like we're inviting Christ into our midst. I know Tom and some others have a heart for nursing home ministry and caring for those um you know, in in that setting. You know, and and it's often doing things like that. It's difficult, thankless. Sometimes it seems like we're wasting our time, but it has eternal significance that when we're visiting someone in that context, it's as if we're visiting Christ. Mother Teresa, who served in in India among the lepers and the poorest of the poor, once said this, I see God... In every human being, when I wash the leper's wounds, I feel I am nursing the Lord himself. Is it not a beautiful experience? I mean, if you're a believer, think about it. What you do matters. What you do is significance. And and as we think about that, maybe we're like the sheep in this passage. Maybe as we think about these things, it's not like, you know, we're doing it for applause. It's not like we're doing it for this great reason. It's just who we are. Like, we love the poor because they're in need, and God has given us the ability to do that. We love God's kids because why wouldn't we? We care for those who are sick because we love them. And so for us, it's not like we're trying to earn anything or show off or do anything like that. It's just an overflow of our DNA. But let's not forget, that matters. That's significant to God because when we do those little acts of love, it's as if we're doing them for Christ. C.T. Studd once said this, Only one life to will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I-, I love that quote. It's a great quote. Completely true. It's been an encouragement to me, but I think sometimes we can misinterpret that quote. Because when we look at a quote like that, we think to ourselves, Okay, only what's done for Christ will last. And we think to ourselves, Okay, If I want to do something for Christ, I need to be a pastor, I need to go into ministry, or I need to be a missionary. And I think, okay, like if I'm really going to do something for Christ, you know, I need to do those things. And if God calls you to do that, that's awesome. That's one way that you can serve Christ. But for the majority of us, God doesn't call us to those things. And I think the enemy sometimes gets in our mind and think, okay, like, only what's done for Christ will last. I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I'm not in ministry, so I'm, not, I'm just wasting my life. And he wants us to stay in that place where we feel like we're living lives like what we do doesn't matter. But God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and as we're living out our DNA of loving those around us with the love of Christ, what we're doing has eternal significance And when we're showing love, it's as if we're showing love to Christ. And so make no mistake, if you are a believer, your life matters. That you can love your parents well for the sake of Christ. You can love your kids well for the sake of Christ. You can care for a friend who's hurting for the sake of Christ. You can go to Dollar General and buy a pair of socks for someone who's in need for Christ. What we do as believers has eternal significance. And it matters. And so there's an incredible encouragement in that our lives matter. Our lives are significant. But also there's an incredible reward as well. The reward, uh, it says in the text, has been prepared for us before the foundation of the world. Specifically, Jesus says to those who are believers, come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Now when we think about the afterlife... We think often about the idea of heaven, and we think, like, what is that going to be like? And oftentimes, the, the ideas that come to our head is, like, being transported up into the clouds and, you know, maybe thinking about angels with wings and, you know, having, you know, singing, singing songs forever and just having this, you know, endless worship service and things like that. And I don't think that's a biblical picture of what our future is going to be like, The Bible says that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe based upon the parables that Jesus tells as well as other parts of Scripture, I believe that what we do now is preparing us for what we're going to do in the next life. That what we do now is preparing us for what we're going to do in the next life. And Jesus describes what we're going to do in the next life, I believe, here. And that is to continue to live lives of significance. I believe that we're going to have... Particular jobs, particular roles in the kingdom of heaven as well. Now, Jesus talks here about inheriting the kingdom. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about that, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And in that context, I believe he's talking about, okay, like if you're poor in spirit, like your inheritance is that you're confirmed as a member of the kingdom of heaven. But I think here it's a little bit different. He talks about inheriting a kingdom, and and it's not described as a kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom that's prepared for you. And he's ta- what he's talking about. That I think that he's indicating, okay, yeah, it is it is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. But it's also a kingdom that you're going to play a vital role in as well. And I, in other parts of Scripture, we see that that we are actually going to reign with Christ and this this phrase inherit a kingdom it also can be translated to inherit a kingship and so I believe that God has an incredible purpose for us in the next life as well as this life that we are one day going to reign with him that as believers that we're going to be in a sense kings and queens in God's kingdom now that you know at least even saying that or thinking about that it seems weird to me but think about these other passages of Scripture that confirm this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. Revelation 5, 9-10 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And look at this, and they shall reign on the earth. God has a glorious future in store for us. We're even told that we're going to judge the angels. And what that exactly looks like, I have no idea. What it looks like to reign with Christ, I don't know what that's going to look like. But we do know it's a glorious future that God has prepared for us. And so as we close today, let's be diligent to make sure that we are believers. That we have the DNA of sheep. That the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And it reflects itself in acts of love to the least of these. And if not, let's turn today. Turn from the direction we're going and say, Christ, I need you to change me. I need you to transform that DNA in my heart. for those of us who are believers let's be encouraged let's be encouraged that each of us matters that even though we may be doing things that the world says is insignificant nobody notices nobody applauds us for when we show the love of christ to those around us it's as if we're loving christ how significant is that to love those around us with the love of christ And let's also be reminded that waiting for us on the other side is a glorious inheritance, reigning with Christ forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you came to the earth to die for us. We thank you for your love for us, that even though there's nothing we could do to earn your favor, you choose to show us grace. Lord, we thank you that you do give us warnings in the scriptures. That you show us what it looks like to follow you so that we wouldn't be apart from you. Because we know that that's not your intention. That Your intention is that we would be a part of that kingdom. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, as we're living our lives as parents, as uh, business people, as employees, as grandparents... Uh, as caretakers, no matter where we find ourselves, Lord, help us never to buy into the lie of the enemy that our lives don't matter. Help us to remember that when we love those around us, specifically the least of these, it's as if we're loving you. And, And we know that there's nothing more significant than that. As we live our lives in this fallen world, help us to have faith, help us to be encouraged as we look forward to the glorious future. And even though In this life, we will face trial. In this life, there will be disappointment. Help us to be encouraged that you're just getting us ready for the next one. In Christ's name I pray.